You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. This weekend, we're going to conclude our series, Live on Mission. We started two weeks ago, uh, and we started talking about rethinking the church. And just kind of a quick summary of it is we determined that uh, we are the church. The church is us. The church consists of people. The building is a great place to gather. It's a great place to gather, but we are still the church even if we didn't have a building. Do you agree with that? The church is not dependent on the building. Why? Because we carry the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. We carry the presence of Jesus wherever we go. We are his temple. We are his tabernacle. And so we, as we carry his presence with us, we work the ministry of reconciliation that's been given to, by, us, to, by God to us as we participate in God's redemptive plan for the world. Last week, we pushed in just a little deeper, and we began to look at what it looks like when the church, uh, we the people who make up the church, when we scatter from here and we go out, uh, what does it look like to live on mission Monday through Saturday? How does it happen? And very simply, we said it happens in the natural context of the people that we find ourselves hanging out with on a daily basis. As we live out Jesus Every day, people are drawn not to us, but to the Jesus in us. And then they begin to ask, what's different about you? And then we have an opportunity to tell the story of Jesus Christ. It just always happens. Um, We recognize that as believers, um, as Christians, we don't exclude those who are not yet Christians, those non-believers. We don't exclude them from our, uh, our, our spheres of influence. We don't, we don't try to shy away from them, but instead we recognize that in life, as we do it every day, we're going to encounter the same kinds of people that Jesus did. We can expect that, and as we encounter them, we have the opportunity, as we're hanging out with them, to tell them the story of Jesus through the life we give. Remember what Jesus said. He said, um, it's uh, not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. And then he went on to say, um, I have not called, come to call the righteous, but the sinner. We cannot be afraid to be um, a friend of those who are spiritually sick and separated from God. We should actually look for opportunities to be with them again so that the ministry of reconciliation can take place. So today we want to switch the focus just a little bit as we continue to, or we conclude the series. And uh, what we want to talk about today is we want to talk about um, living life on mission in our marketplace. Living life on mission in our marketplace. Um, and doing so, I think it's good to start by uh, coming up with or, or giving, providing uh, a working definition that helps us understand what we're talking about when we're talking about the marketplace because it puts us all on the same page. So to do that, in, uh, in the simplest, maybe the historic form, marketplace is very simply defined as an open area in town where a market takes place. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Maybe some of you go to, in the spring and in the summer, you go over to Davidson, to the Davidson Farmer's Market. That's a marketplace. Or any people in here you love to go to flea markets? Any flea market junkies? Maybe one or two? Uh, it's a flea market. It's a, it's, a, it's a marketplace. The flea market is a marketplace. But then um, in another sense, when we think about the marketplace, when we think about it in terms of business, trade, and economics, listen to this. The marketplace is simply uh, an arena where ideas and thoughts 
and artistic expressions and a host of other things like that compete for recognition. Ideas, thoughts, artistic expressions, and all kinds of things like that competing for recognition. So with that, let me ask you this morning, where is your marketplace? Where's your marketplace? What's the marketplace? For many of you, uh, you probably responded but to that question, and rightly so. You immediately thought, well, my marketplace is the place that I go to to work every day. That's my marketplace. And you're right. Your daily 9 to 5 window, the place where you find yourself at work every day is one of your greatest opportunities to represent Jesus. It's one of your greatest opportunities to live life on mission. You have a consistent opportunity to represent Jesus in everything you do simply with the people that you're hanging out with. Um, Our workplace should be considered as one of the greatest mission fields that we have available to us. Um, let me let me give some insight into the the marketplace, the workplace. Um, listen to this. Consider this: all non-believers are in the workplace, in the marketplace. All non-believers are in the marketplace. But listen to the flip side of that coin: all believers are in the marketplace. That's pretty cool when you think about it. When we think about opportunity. All non-believers are in the marketplace. All believers are in the marketplace. The marketplace provides a, a, a wonderful showroom for the display of authentic Christianity. Why? Because it's in the marketplace that we live out Jesus in our lives. So we get to display what Christianity is all about. There's a quote in your notes that I I, I love, and I want to read it to you this morning. Uh, It says, The kind of work we do does not make it holy, but we make it holy. As we have the divine being within, we bless each task we do, be it eating or sleeping or watching or any other task. From that quote, I want to pull out one particular phrase, and that phrase is, we bless each task that we do. And the reason I want to pull that one phrase out is because this morning, I want to expand our thinking beyond the workplace as the only marketplace. I believe that the marketplace is much bigger than the daily nine-to-five grind. Um, A moment ago, uh, when I said all believers are in the marketplace, you might have thought, well, that's not true because I'm retired and I don't go out into a workplace anymore. Therefore, I'm not in the in the marketplace. Or you might have said, you know, I'm a I'm a stay at home mom or I'm a homeschool mom. And so I'm not out in the workplace. I'm not out in the marketplace. And I want to say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. The marketplace um, is not confined. Uh, it's, it doesn't have to be defined by the traditional thought or in the traditional manner of the workplace. Our marketplace can be determined uh, by the season of life that we find ourselves in. You may be in the retirement years, but you still have a marketplace. Our marketplace can be defined by the passions and the interests that we have. Our marketplace can be defined by a call that we have on our life. 
a God-given call that we have on our life. And that God-given call places us out in the marketplace. Our marketplace is not limited to a, to a, a place of employment. It's not limited to a workplace that we go to every day. But instead, our marketplace is wherever we might find ourselves. There's some great illustrations of this right here within our own East Lincoln family, and I want to share a few of them with you this morning. When I begin to think about the marketplace in a broader sense, I, I think about Bo Quickle. Bo is actually with us this morning. His photo's going to come up on the screen. Surprise, Bo. <laughs> I, hope, I hope I chose the right one from Facebook. <laughs> um, Bo is no stranger to the marketplace. Bo is a successful business owner, has, has owned and operated successful businesses for a number of years. However, Bo's marketplace is not limited to the businesses that he has owned and operated that he owns now. In fact, he's actually merged his marketplace with his business and a call that God has placed on his life. Um, Bo's marketplace, because of a God-given call on his life, actually has placed him um, encountering the same kinds of people that Jesus encountered, some of the same kinds of people that we talked about last week. Um, Because Bo's call in the marketplace is, listen to this, his call is to end human trafficking and sex trade in the United States. That's no small call, is it? We had dinner with Bo and Paula on Thursday night, and they were able to talk to us a bit, a good bit about this. And I, I recognize uh, this is of epidemic for, uh, nature in, in our culture. And, and Bo has received a direct call from God, and he's not just trying to end it, but he's 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 working to end it by um, trying to work at the demand, the demand for it. And so what we find is his, his marketplace is in that arena. His marketplace is out encountering the same kinds of people that Jesus did every day, but it's not the traditional marketplace. Um, I also think of Stephen Jan Walton, who again are a part of our East Lincoln family. Uh, the season of life that Stephen Jan find themselves in is retirement. They're, they're retired. However, they're not retired from the marketplace. Uh, their uh, passion and a call on their lives has placed them uh, in a situation where they're encountering the same kinds of people that Jesus did. They're encountering those who are down and out. Uh, the, the call on their life is a call to Christian ministries here in the East Lincoln in the Denver area where they're working uh, to make sure that families have the necessities of life like food and clothing. And it's placed them in this marketplace of the down and out. They're not going to a job every day. In fact, they're volunteering, but they're in their own marketplace place and being very successful at it. Um, another example from our Grace Covenant family, uh, East Lincoln family even, is um, Glenn Hardiman. Some of you may know Glenn. Glenn is no stranger to the traditional workforce, uh, workplace. Glenn is retired. That's his season of life. And um, he was a very successful attorney. Um, but Glenn, in this season of life, finds his um, marketplace in the art community. Glenn is an artist in his own right, working with um, uh, glass artistry. And um, so Glenn, because of his 
interest, because of his season of life, it's placed him out in uh, the artistic community, and he's getting to live the life out of Jesus. He's living on mission in the artistic community. And those are just three from our own East Lincoln family. There's one more that I want to tell you about. Um, it's a friend of ours in Florida. His name is Nate Baranowski. And Nate Baranowski's 31, and he's an artist as well. And get this, his, um, his art form is sidewalk chalk art. I wish this morning that I could just show you several pictures of his work. I'm not talking about hopscotch chalk art. This, this God has given him the ability to create chalk art that looks three-dimensional, and you think, how did you do that? And so it's placed him in the marketplace of the, of the artistic community, not just in the state of Florida, but nationally, all across the United States and internationally. He travels drawing on sidewalks, and God's working through him, to, to be the love of Jesus, to represent Jesus. He's living out his life on mission in the art world. Those are a few examples, but maybe this morning you're here and you're saying, well, if I think of it in a different way, my marketplace is I'm a grandmother and my marketplace is with my grandkids, caring for them on a daily basis. Or maybe you would say, my marketplace as a homeschool family, as a homeschool mom, my marketplace is my students in the homeschool community that we live within. That's where we're living out Jesus. And what I want to say this morning is our marketplace should not be limited by a workplace, by a nine to five daily grind. But instead, our marketplace is wherever we find ourselves. I think that's why I would want to tell you about these people, because I want to expand our thinking. I want us to see that God places us in various marketplaces that don't look traditional. And when we find ourselves in that marketplace, whatever it might be, regardless of age, regardless of season of life, regardless of vocation, we have to recognize this is my marketplace and I'm going to live out. I'm going to represent Jesus where he's placed me. I'm going to be his ambassador. I'm going to live out the ministry of reconciliation. I'm going to participate in God's redemptive plan for the world. I'm going to be a part of seeing those who are spiritually sick, separated from Jesus, come into relationship with him simply because I live out Jesus every day in my life. It doesn't mean perfection. It just means that there's something different about you and it's causing people to take notice and they're coming and they're going to start asking you. You can count on it happening. Regardless of where your marketplace is, if it's traditional or it's season of life or it's artistic, whatever it might be, I want to say this morning that there are some common biblical truths that we must all embrace if we're going to be effective in our marketplace mission and ministry. I'd like for you to take your Bibles and I'd like for you to turn to Acts chapter 17 um, and you can swipe there also if you have your tablet or your phone there. Acts chapter 17, I'm going to read to you in just a moment, beginning in verse 16, and I'm going to read a larger chunk to you than I normally do. It's, it's necessary to get the entire picture. Um, and what we find in this passage is the Apostle Paul is in Athens, and he's there, he's waiting on Timothy and Silas to join him. So let me read the passage to you, and then we'll talk about it. I'll pull out these truths. Beginning in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, 
he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Arachavus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. But when Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Arachavus and said, men of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I have walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them. And listen to this. And the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by a man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of, proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men, left, uh, a few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Rochabas, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So a rich passage, rich, full of... Um, marketplace mission and ministry uh, from a biblical perspective of how it should take place. So what does, when we look at this passage, what does effective marketplace ministry look like? And let me begin to tell you. Um, at these, let me tell you on the front side, this next small portion is not in your notes. I will come back to them at the end. So you might want to write these down. Um, I'll try to make sure I say them all slowly or twice. So effective marketplace ministry, it takes place when we take time to observe our marketplace. When we take time to observe our marketplace. In verse 16, it says, as Paul was waiting, he looked and he saw. In other words, while Paul was there waiting for Timothy and Silas, he was assessing. 
He was analyzing. He was walking about the marketplace and he was determining what was going on. He, he, he assessed the spiritual climate of the marketplace. If you and I are going to be effective in our marketplace, wherever it is, we have to take time to observe what's going on in the marketplace where God has placed us. Oftentimes we get so busy that we don't look. And if we don't take time to look, we'll never be effective at marketplace ministry and mission. Paul looked. When you and I find ourselves in our marketplace, we have to ask a question. What's going on here? What's the spiritual climate of this marketplace? What's going on here? What's the spiritual climate of the marketplace? Uh, As we continue to think about marketplace ministry, we have to allow ourselves to feel according to what we see. In verse 16, it says, Paul was distressed. Um, The actual word that, uh, from the Greek language that's used, actually is the meaning of it. He was provoked. Um, uh, In other words, As Paul was assessing, as he was looking around the marketplace and he was asking what's the spiritual climate, as he was seeing the um, images to uh, other gods, each time he saw one, it, it has the meaning that it was continuous, there was an anger that happened on the inside. He was disturbed, he was provoked, and it was continuous that each time he saw another image, he was provoked, and then he was provoked, and then he was provoked, and then he was provoked. And then he was provoked. And all of this was going on on the inside. As he was assessing, what he saw disturbed him. Today, our culture is such that it's kind of like the frog in the kettle syndrome, where you heat it up a little bit at a time. We become immune. We often find ourselves no longer disturbed, no longer provoked by what we're seeing in the culture that is uh, 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 contrary to what God teaches us in the world. world. We become very accepting. And we have to be to a point that as we're observing that we allow ourselves to have a righteous indignation that rises up on the inside so that we would be disturbed, that we would be provoked by what we're seeing, that there would be some kind of movement in our own spirit. And then uh, effective marketplace ministry happens when we uh, are willing to engage in a conversation. So Paul saw, he, he assessed, What's going on? What's the spiritual climate? He was disturbed by what he saw. He was provoked continuously. And then he engaged in a conversation in verse 17. It says, Paul reasoned in the marketplace based on what he saw. He was willing to enter into a conversation. When you and I are in our marketplace, we're assessing and we're we're being provoked, rightly so, by what's going on. We have to be willing to engage in conversation about what we're seeing. But here's the key. The conversation has to be appropriate conversation at an appropriate time. That is so important. We don't go in like gangbusters, but instead we, we think about how we're going to speak. We wait for a right time. We make sure that we have appropriate conversation. I was always taught that you get more flies with honey than vinegar. I think that that would apply in the marketplace. So 
Effective ministry and mission in the marketplace means that we also would anticipate a response. In verse uh, 19, it says that some rejected Paul. They said he's a babbler. He's abdicating foreign gods because he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There were some who wanted to hear. Uh, They were were curious. And if we're going to live out a mission in the marketplace and we're willing to assess and say, what's the spiritual climate? And we allow ourselves to be disturbed, to be provoked by what we, what we see, and then we engage in conversation, then you have to anticipate that there will be a response, and it may not always be the response that you want. Some will babble and say, what are you talking about? Others will want to know more, and some will reject. But if you're going to engage in conversation, then you have to be willing for that response to come. Um, Effective marketplace ministry happens when we seize the moment, when we make the connection. I love this in verses 22 and 23. Um, Paul says, I see, I found that you have an altar to an unknown God. I can tell you what that unknown God is. I can reveal to you who it is. So as Paul was in the marketplace... He's walking about, he's assessing, he's reasoning, he's getting responses, but then it's like he begins to build a bridge because he sees a common place of conversation. He says, you have an altar to an unknown God, and I have the answer to who that is. I can reveal to you, I can tell you who this unknown God is. Listen, as we are out in our marketplace, wherever it might be, In most cases, we're going to find, especially if it's in a secular kind of marketplace, you're going to find that there are people who are trying to fill a void, an unknown in their life, through many different kinds of gods. And it's not working. And when you recognize that, you wait for the moment, you seize the opportunity when you can say, I know you're looking for something. I've watched your life. I can tell you, I can, give you to the, I can give you the answer that you haven't been able to find yet. And that's the connection to begin to tell the story of Jesus Christ. But you have to look for that moment. What are the unknown gods in another person's life? What is it they reveal? And then how do you seize that moment? And it always has to be appropriate and the timing has to be right. And that's the next thing. Careful, uh, um, effective marketplace ministry uh, requires Careful consideration of your approach. Carefully considering your approach. Um, Paul uh, began by saying, I see that you are very religious. He wasn't condemning them. He was actually, in a sense, he was paying them a compliment. Again, there was a common ground. He said, I see that you have an altar to an unknown God. That causes me to see that you are a very religious people. And then it was from there that he moved in and he began to tell the story. So when we're in our marketplace mission and ministry, where our marketplace, again, wherever it might be, we can't barge in with condemnation. But we look for those common places. And we look for where can we we compliment? Where, Where is something that we can speak positively of? Maybe in your place, maybe, maybe, you would, maybe there would be people you could say, I can see, you're, you're a very religious per- person. You're very spiritual-minded. Um, but you don't seem like you found what you're looking for. I have the answer. 
We have to consider our approach. Um, Effective marketplace ministry happens when we're able to tell the story in a way that is relevant and fitting. So here's what Paul is doing. Paul observed, and then he began to build a bridge. He said, I see uh, that you are very religious. You have an altar to an unknown God. And that was the building of the bridge. And he started walking across the bridge, telling the story of, of, of God. It's interesting, in, in this particular section, he spoke the story of God. He told the story of Jesus, but he never mentioned Jesus' name, at least not in the passage. But he began to walk across the bridge, telling the story. It was a story that related to where they were. And then he ends it on the other side of the bridge by saying, well, even some of your poets say we are his offspring. So he started it at common ground where they were. You have an altar to an unknown God. And then he ended it by saying, even your own poets. That was the capstone of the, of the bridge that he had built. And so he began to walk across it. And finally, uh, effective marketplace ministry happens when we remember that it's an ongoing process. Some will respond now. Some will respond later. And some will never respond. And that's what we see in the end of the chapter. There were some who sneered. There were some who wanted to hear more. And there were some who believed. And what I would say about that is this. Um, we are only to be obedient. We are not responsible for the results. We are simply to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And then we tell the story. And then we let the Holy Spirit do the rest. We, we, we don't have to worry about whether it's going to happen or not, because the Holy Spirit is at work. So here's what I want to say this morning. Regardless of your season of life, regardless of your vocation, regardless of where you may find yourself in the marketplace, it's all about a right mindset. Here we are back to the notes. Our mindset when we're in the marketplace is best when we recognize we're on assignment. Marketplace ministry is best when we see it as ministry that's worship to God. Marketplace ministry is best when we approach it wholeheartedly, when we approach it with a servant's heart. Marketplace ministry is best when we live as God's light wherever He may place us in whatever marketplace we might find ourselves in. Marketplace ministry is not just the place we work but it's our opportunity to be the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. So let me go back to a question I asked you earlier. Now that you've had your, market, your, your ex mind expanded, your thinking expanded concerning marketplace mission and ministry, where, where is your marketplace? Where has your marketplace taken you? Where are your passions, your season of life, your interest, your call? What marketplace has it placed you in? God wants to use you there in that marketplace. And so today, what we have to understand is that we came here to worship, but when we leave this place, we scatter, that's where the mission begins. It begins outside these doors. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.